0: And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here from Golf.com, joined, as always, by two of my favorite guys, Andrew Tursky from Golf.com and True Specs, Chris McCormick. Guys, it's another week. We've got a Jason Kokrak win to talk about. He's now a two-time PGA Tour winner. Tursky's at Memorial. Uh, got, got some fun topics to get into this week. Tursky is, is – hopefully you don't miss your flight, man. You're, you're, <laughs> you're definitely – Definitely sacrificing some very valuable time that you could have been spending sitting in an airport terminal, but thank you for doing it. <laughs> I'm cut.
1: I'm cutting it very close. Thank you for the intro, by the way. Two of your favorite guys. I'm flattered. That's right. Of course, two of my favorite
0: guys. What do you think? Starting off right. Positive vibes go. in here. Love it. There we go. All right. So we're going to keep it tight so Turski doesn't miss his plane flight back to Scottsdale. Uh, you know, let's, let's start off. There's a lot of news coming out of, out of Memorial Tursk. You, you were there at Jack's place under, underwent a, a redesign, but there are some guys that are making some, some pretty significant changes. What did you see this week at a Memorial?
1: I did walk the course a little bit. Uh, that number five green is like 25 yards to the left. Um, place looks beautiful as always got a couple of cicadas out there. They were singing. Um, it was raining a little bit today, so kind of had the bag covers on, so not great uh, club photo taking today. But we were out there on Tuesday. Some. Oh yeah, we got a little bit. What we do you think's the bit. most? What do you think's the uh, the biggest gear change this week uh, so far?
0: Putting it on me. Um, I think it's probably one that that maybe happened last week. That that we I was kind of waiting to see if anybody else noticed it because you had a chance to sit down with uh, JJ Van Wissenbeek from Titleist. Yep, it's friend of the sh- friend of the show, friend friend of the show, friend of the pod. Uh, <laughs> he gave you some some really great insights into Justin Thomas switching to the new Titleist TSI two driver. Very Not, surprising uh, switch. Yeah, very to surprising. Me. Yeah, for Cause sure. He's always I, so been I a TS
1: three TSI three guy and mm-hmm. so i guess he was looking for a little bit more forgiveness and a little bit more launch and they tried the tsi2 head he's always in the b he's always been in the b1 uh sure setting which is um basically neutral face angle and uh, 0.75 degrees flat because he likes that fade bias and in that setting with his normal um mitsubishi shaft He was kind of spinning it a little bit too much, but he really liked the launch, and he was gaining ball speed. So I think he was pretty excited about that head. And then they changed into the C1 setting, which he's never been in before. He's never tried that setting. And that kind of opened the face up a little bit, 0.75 degrees, um, took the loft down, so it was a little bit more open. That TSI 2 tends to sit a little bit closed, at least to my eye. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, so I'm sure the 0.75 – Point, the .75-degree open face was probably a great thing. And it, it brought yeah, and it brought spin down around 200 RPM, he said. So it was kind of uh, a best of both, both worlds. Picked up spin, more forgiveness, more launch, and that's what he was looking for. So he pulled the trigger and put that in play. It'll be interesting to see if it stays in the bag. Um, but for that's sure, a pretty big sure. change for JT, who's a guy who's always been in that compact, traditional-shaped head you know for for a guy like that you don't expect a TSI too so that was definitely one of the biggest changes um at least last week um I wonder if he's gonna stay in it this week
0: I I mean I would think he he played pretty well with it last week I I would think he would but it brings up a good question Turski. is you're going through JT's sure-fit settings which is the for those that maybe aren't familiar as much with the titles which is the loft sleeve um you know most of today's today's modern drivers have the availability to do loft sleeve adjustments, um, changing the loft on the driver incrementally, but it also, you know, will alter, a lot of these drivers will alter face angles. well. And it makes me wonder, Chris, how often do you get a golfer who's one, knowledgeable about making loft sleeve adjustments when they come in to get fit for, let's say, just say a driver, and two, how how many of them actually have their drivers in a different setting other than neutral because i'll be honest like i I play with a lot of you know just at home i'll go out and play you know a quick nine and i'll always look in the bag and see what guys are playing and Mm -hmm. i i don't really see a whole lot of guys messing with the loft sleeve on there it it feels like they kind of just leave it in the neutral spot uh, it's it,
2: Neutral is obviously the most common that you see come in, but the, the players that do come in with them changed. I always ask the question like, oh, so how did we end up on this particular setting? Or you know, have you tried any other settings? And the, the vast majority of players that come through the door have absolutely no idea as to <laughs> why they're on the setting that they're on or what those, what those settings course. actually do statically to the, uh, to the driver itself. Like I'm sure a lot of our guys out there don't know the majority of the, the fixed loft sleeves that are out there, one degree of loft changes face angle essentially by two degrees. So as you're going to those higher settings or those lower settings, not only are you adding loft, you're you're changing face angle as well, which is going to manipulate the, the bias of that particular head. And most players that come in with a with a different setting than neutral have no idea what they're doing with it.
1: Yeah, what would you say like, surprising. what would you say the the change in spin rate and launch would be for like the two extreme ends of a typical loft sleeve? like how much are we actually talking about uh, manipulating ball flight?
2: I mean, it, you really start to be dependent upon the the skill level of the player. so I mean i've seen I've seen some guys that there's not much of a change at all, and then I've also seen players where all of a sudden, oh, hey, we picked up a degree and a half of launch and we've gained you know, three to 500 RPMs a spin or vice versa. Mm-hmm. We, we lowered launch, we've changed starting direction, we've, we've cut three to 500 RPMs a spin. It really just kind of depends on the player, the angles that they create, because you'll see players that will manipulate how they actually swing the club based upon some of those static changes we make in the loft sleeve. So we may mm-hmm. add loft to a player's driver and effectively start to close the face and then subsequently that player will subconsciously make a change in their golf swing to negate the change we just made to the driver and (laughs) there's there's virtually no change oh it's it's always kind of interesting to see what a player does to react to the change that we make to the golf club I've had I've had players where I have gone and opened the face and then within three swings they're closing the face more than where they were when we started
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you can make you can make small changes to those uh, those hosel sleeves. And it's such a drastic change in, like you said, how the club looks, how it feels, how it plays physically, how it comes off the face. Um, and, like, Jay Wall's, to Jay Wall's point, consumers are just super confused. I mean, it's really confusing even for us. Like, every company has their own hosel sleeves, so it's really something where you buy a driver, you want to look up, like, treat it like an instruction manual for putting together a desk for IKEA or something like you have to look it up just to just to kind of know what you have in your hands at least you know Well oh, it is for i mean sure. especially
2: if you're changing brands because i mean each one of these these oem manufacturers will have their own independent loft sleeve technology some of them are going to change face angle independently from loft some of them change it at the same time depending upon the settings that you put it on and uh, more often than not that that standard setting is actually the flattest setting for for most of the companies that are out there and if you start to mess with some of those those loft adjustments even going lower for example on the uh, on the tailor-made driver that's going to help us to effectively open the face you're making the club mm-hmm. more upright yeah so it's it, those, it's those all,
0: are all things that the average consumer isn't considering when no idea when they're adjusting the the loft sleeve and they're going well I want to I want to lower the loft on my driver 1 degree they all they're thinking about is in in a, in a vacuum so to speak they're just thinking loft down that's all I want to do they're not considering that it might be changing the lie angle on their driver and the face angle on the driver as well so um, yeah there's that's what that's kind of what I wanted to just highlight is there's a lot going on when you adjust the loft sleeve on a driver more than than consumers realize. And that's why I think it's, again, it's really important as we've highlighted a million times on this pod, the importance of getting fit for a driver. I mean, you can adjust the loft sleeve, but I think you need to work with a fitter to find the best setup. And then if you need to make incremental changes, then you kind of have a good idea of what you're doing instead of just getting a driver, having it neutral, and then just starting to make changes yourself without really knowing what's going on. as far as TSI 2 is concerned, I did want to also point out, and this is, I, this is honestly the most interesting part about the story that, that Tursky wrote um, with insights from, from JJ. Ongolf.com. Ongolf.com, for sure. Thank you for the plug, Tursky. <laughs> plug talk. We, we, we also get a, good, get a good Tursky plug in there. Um, but <laughs> Gotta have one. It's, it's interesting. The most interesting part is that, so you've got a guy like, like Justin Thomas. He's picking up ball speed, which isn't a huge surprise from TS3 to TSI2, because the 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 you know the new face technology on the the TSI product is is a lot hotter than the previous face. Um, it, for me, it's it's not so much the forgiveness, but it's that you can find other benefits by going to a forgiving driver, and that's what Adam Scott found. And this, to yep. me, is like I said, is the most interesting part of the story. Is Adam Scott tends to as as JJ mentioned, he covers the golf ball, which means he's not hitting up on it. Um, like you're typically kind of taught to do with, with today's driver technology, tee it high, hit up on it. That's gonna get you that, that higher launch, more carry. Adam Scott likes to cover the golf ball. He, he's not trying to hit up on it, but he found the TSI two to be a better benefit than, you know, he's typically played TS four, he did TSI four, um, but found the higher launch on the TSI 2 product actually helped him so he could just cover the ball instead of having to adjust his golf swing for the club, which is one of those sneaky good benefits of, of a driver like that. If you don't like hitting up on the ball, get get a forgiving driver with with a CG that's farther back, deeper and farther back in the head that already has a built-in high launch angle that you're going to get, then you don't have to adjust your driver swing. You can just do it like Adam Scott and – use your normal swing, cover the golf ball, and you're still going to get a nice launch angle out of it. So that's a really great story. It shows you that, that a, you know, in this case, a TSI2 driver can benefit two guys who are looking for two different things.
1: JJ gave me a, uh, a quote, and I just want to run it by you guys real quick, get your thoughts. <clears throat> I have it right here. He said, I think you should use the driver head as the engine. This is a car analogy. Use the driver head as the engine and the shaft as the transmission as a general guideline when you're going through a driver fitting. What do, sure. what do you think about that quote, Chris? You think I, it's true?
2: I can definitely chime in with that. And I would I would put when it comes to performance change and variability on what's going to have the biggest impact on performance and characteristically influencing your numbers with a driver, head is going to be the component that is going to make the biggest difference. But I would say that shaft is almost equally important because you have to find a shaft that complements that player's movements in order to get them to not only feel the club through the swing, but also give them the most probability of returning that face to square more often than not. I mean, just mm-hmm. being able to, to use the tool as, as one piece rather than identifying them as individual components you have to find that marriage between the two. So I mean if you like that analogy of engine and transmission with the uh, the head being the engine if that makes sense to you, that is going to be the driving force of of performance variable for sure. Don't, I wouldn't Personally,
1: mind. Personally I'm not a huge car I'm not a huge car guy. It makes more sense to me in terms of golf equipment, but I sure. know there's probably more people that are into cars than uh than golf equipment, so
0: yeah. I, 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 agree. I agree with him. I, th- I think, you know, I think there's, there's different schools of thought. You know, I know there are some that believe that the driver's shaft is far more important. And if you can find the right shaft, that's going to put you in a great spot. And, and you can probably, you know, mix and match that shaft with a number of heads and, and see benefits. Um, and I know some that think the other way that you got to start with the head, you got to find a head that works for you. And, and I, and I, Tend to agree more with that because, you know, yes, the shaft is very important, but the head is not just from a performance standpoint, but also from a look standpoint. Um, I know more more golfers are gonna gonna really take to a driver because it looks good in the address position, and if it looks good, you know, that's that's kind of half the battle, right there. You're you're probably gonna play better. It sounds crazy, but if the driver doesn't look good, it looks shut to you or or open or whatever. You don't like the crown. You're gonna be you're gonna be negative from the start, and and that's that's just the worst possible place to be in when you're looking at a driver that you don't have confidence in, even if you're hitting it well. I, I mean I talk to more pros that talk about the importance <coughs> of of feel and looks and what, how important that is. You know I think of Sergio as one guy. You know he's he's not putting as much of an emphasis on on launch monitor numbers as he would on on the feel of the club and and how it looks at address. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's, to me, I think driver would probably be one. And, you know, yeah, sure, you you could make a case for shaft as well, but I'll go with head.
1: You touched on a little point there where uh, JJ kind of emphasized, I asked him, you know, what amateurs kind of get wrong with their equipment and fitting and, and all that. And he was like, don't just snap your head back and look at the numbers like immediately as the ball takes off. Make sure you're looking at the flight, too, because that's a really important part of the process. And that's what you're going to be looking at on the course. So if you're not actually comfortable with the real ball flight, the numbers aren't going to matter much. If uh, you know you're in the rough or the trees, or you're just not comfortable with the look. Agreed,
0: for sure. For sure. I and mean, we, we, we can keep going on this topic for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, we could switch over to to topic number two from Memorial, which is also a pretty interesting little tidbit. Yeah. With uh, so John, so John Rahm when he goes to to Callaway. He gets into the two-ball-ten Odyssey. The golf equipment internet kind of explodes. Everyone wants it. And this week he trots out there with a Odyssey white-hot OG Rossi slant neck with no top lines on it. This it's thing so is classic. Pure. Yeah, so pure. So pure. Steel shaft on there. Um, so no more Stroke steel. Lab? No more Stroke Lab
0: and he had a double bend neck right in the two ball Uh, 10 i i believe so i'd have to go back and look at pictures i'm pretty sure he did um okay you know this the slant the slant is is kind of when i hear that it's like okay that's that feels like it's more in line with with the spider that he had previously Mm -hmm. that he had a ton of success with and, and that he used um you know again he, he also was using a steel shafted product so maybe he's just trying to get back to to more of a of a spider feel something a bit more traditional um the one thing that did surprise me though guys um was was he changed inserts i noticed yeah. that you know he was using a a very traditional white hot he actually
1: switched into the micro hinge star at the pga
0: though yeah yeah he did so it's, yeah. it's, it's been in there. So he, but he's still keeping it. Is is my thing. So yeah, he's, yep. he's. It's not like he's going back to the white hot that he had previously. He's staying with that that micro hinge, which is which is a touch on the firmer side and uh, has a bit more tech involved than than the regular white hot. So yeah, there's a lot going on with this putter, but it does kind of make me think that he's trying to find something that maybe feels a bit more like the the made Spider that he used.
1: Got to be right on the money, right there. I didn't talk to Rom himself, but yeah. <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure that's what he's thinking. But makes that putter sense. is clean looking. <clears throat> I think the yeah. demand's going to end up being pretty high. on. that. say uh, now, now the,
0: everybody's going to want that putter.
1: <laughs> yeah, the top lineless um, Rossi classic.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Every time I see a guy with a with a naked top line on their putter, it, it just makes me think of the. Jason talking to Jason day one time and he, you know, would go back and forth between line, no line. And I asked him when he had, it was Jesus, probably six years ago now um, when he had gone back to itsy bitsy spider. And I I said, why, why did you get rid of the the top line? And he said, you know, I was becoming so reliant on that top line when I was putting Mm -hmm. that I really was losing a lot of my feel and, and a lot of the things that made me a good putter. So he got rid of the line, so it, it forced him to, to rely more on his senses, more on his feel, um, visualizing, you know, the line of where he wanted it to go, and that kind of freed him up is what he said. So it does make me wonder sometimes when guys go from using a line to no line, if they're trying to do something similar, maybe they're just trying to kind of really hone in on the feel and not become maybe so mechanical and relying so much on that, that alignment aid.
2: You see that a Do lot, Jay find... Wall. Yeah, it's yeah. It, there's so many guys out there that get so obsessed with line, with line, with line, and then their feel and consistency with distance control just goes completely out the window. And I'm I'm a yeah. huge fan of no line for me personally. I'm yeah. I'm definitely so one of those guys. I I fall into the rabbit hole of I get so obsessed with starting it on the perfect line and then. Speed and consistency is just in the toilet. Yeah.
0: yeah. Speaking of of feel, and going back to something you're familiar with. Rory Look at McElroy. that transition, Rory McIlroy, <laughs> nice. Tursky, What do we got? Roars is going back to uh, to something familiar in the driver, huh? He just won.
1: You know, it's it's funny he that he's just, he just that won. Out.
0: Yeah, I know, but you know, it's like. If you're being complacent and sticking with what you got, you're probably not probably not playing to your full potential. Even if you've won, I mean, it, it is kind of crazy. I, I I would agree.
1: Yeah. So he just went back to the Silver uh, Silvertini 70 XTS that he played for years and years. Switched out of it. He's still in the Sim 2 head though. He's still in a eight degree Sim 2 head. He's got the old shaft, the old flame. Um, he's probably
0: trying to stay in in the sim 2 product you know we've talked about this and it's not it's not a knock yeah. on sim 2 at all but it does feel like that this year has has been a bit more difficult for the the tailor-made staffers to get acclimated to the sim 2 product you know we dustin johnson is another guy who comes to mind who's kind of bounced between sim and sim 2 um so i mean not surprising that roy's trying to, to stick in the sim 2 product but it's he probably you know, going to start there, and then if you can't get that to work, you know, you go back to the to the old head. But um, better to start with the uh, with the new product for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, everything you hear is just that the Sim Two is a little bit more draw biased, and a lot of those guys prefer a uh, fade bias look feel. Um, you know, they got a couple tough tough driving courses coming up with uh, with Muirfield and then Torrey, so they're all trying to dial in the drivers and get comfortable. So they can hit a bunch of fairways, because if you're in the rough at these two these two places, it's just too juicy to be yeah. able to score at all.
0: For so. sure, it's gonna gonna be a very important club, as uh, as you said, for for Memorial and for for Torrey. One more that I did want to bring up was uh, Xander, ball change. Yep, Chrome
1: Soft LS. Uh, I was talking to Jacob Davidson, also another friend of the show. He was saying that Xander's basically just picked up two miles per hour ball speed over the last month so his spin rates Man. were going up a little bit he wanted to get him back
0: down just, he just found it it's under like, a, yeah. a doormat like an extra two miles an hour ball speed just yeah just, the extra know, two miles an hour just out there yeah yeah
1: these guys pick up speed so easily i mean they work incredibly hard on their their swings their moves their bodies but you know the quick changes in speed it's like, i don't know i don't think i'd be able to do that so hats off yeah. to them um you know, golf ball can change a lot, and 200 RPM is uh, significant. So yeah,
0: the LS product is is going to be be again the LS stands for for low spin, lower spinning product. So as, as he's picking up speed, typically as you're going, especially at those high speeds, picking it up, you're probably, you know, seeing maybe some increases in your in maybe your driver spin rate. Um, you know, you want to try and manage it. That's a great way, and it, it you know you don't have to manipulate the the club. You're just going into a different golf ball, which that's That's been a pretty popular golf ball. The, I know that just came out of retail this year, but that, that's that been a ball that's been played out on tour. And that's kind of why it eventually made its way to retail is, you know, a lot of tour feedback and success out there, you know, translates to, to a retail product down the road. Um, other changes that I did want to bring up, there wasn't a whole lot from, from Colonial. Did you guys watch? I mean, how much did you watch from from Colonial of, of the Kokrak? Tursky's face says none.
1: <laughs> none i caught i caught a little bit of it
0: yeah okay that means none i'm a Chris, golf how much i'm a you golf watch? fan i'm a golf fan so at the it. end of the I don't day believe you know? it. nope nope you didn't watch Chris, i watched the last watched couple it.
1: holes
2: i was i was on assignment in denver i was uh that's i was it, that's a working a no. working man this past week didn't catch much of the event unfortunately yeah.
0: how much how what how about, much about you jaywall how much golf uh let's I, put you I, on the spot how I much i watched the i watched the back nine on sunday uh, you know, okay. that's not, not I was bad. just going to ask this, not 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 to take it off the rails like I tend to do sometimes, but how much golf do you typically watch on a weekly basis? How much live golf? Let's put it that way.
1: I'll typically watch Thursday, a little bit Saturday, and then most of the day Sunday. Obviously, major weeks are like the players or the big events, like you know Riviera. I love, so I'll watch basically every shot, but. You know, life gets in the way sometimes and there's other there's other sports on as well. But yeah. we're all golf fans. We love we love golf, so I like watching as much as I can. Chris, this absolutely. week was this week was a little exception
0: though. Yeah, I didn't whatever. watch too much. Didn't watch any <laughs> golf, didn't watch Speed, no Speed. Golf. After
1: that after that high of the PGA Championship though, you kind of need you need that mental break.
0: Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Chris, how much
2: <laughs> live golf for me? Live Almost golf. zero. Almost yeah. zero if uh, if I have an opportunity to actually sit and watch some golf it's usually when I'm back in my hotel room and uh, working on emails that I've missed throughout the day
0: you are the busiest man in golf I, I will uh, I'll fight anybody who says otherwise I, I mean yeah, I you watch have every I don't, excuse in the yeah, world Chris, Chris. He, he does I've my excuse is just kids and you know again life getting in the way I'll watch Thursdays just because it's more more selfishly for the job because if there are any changes yep. it's you're trying to kind of confirm stuff um after that probably sunday you know i'll watch back nine if it if it's you know somebody that that i enjoy watching but but for the most part yeah it's it's tough so would you say I
1: mean, would you say per per week you spend more time on getty images looking at <laughs> shafts and clubheads than you do actually watching 100%, 100% them 100
0: <laughs> yes i spend way more time on getty than I do watching live <laughs> golf. 100 percent, yes. The king, every of, week. the king of Getty images. Yeah, man. the king, the king of Getty images. That's me. Um, I, I, th- no shame in admitting that I do. I definitely spend more time there, perusing photos and zooming in as, as as close as they'll let me get on those high res images. Um, but yeah, it's there again. Like I said, wasn't a ton going on last week. The, the, I guess the highlights would be Justin Rose went back to the TaylorMade P730 irons. If you're familiar with Rose and the TaylorMade connection. You know, he spent two decades with, with TaylorMade and, you know, eventually split to go to Hanma and then that didn't work out. And so he goes back to the TaylorMade, the P730s at Bay Hill. That was kind of when it all started, when we all realized that they were officially official, like they were done. He didn't have a single uh, Hanma club in the bag at that point. So yep. back back to some blades that he's familiar with. Uh, Jason Kokrak, who did win, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, he had a new set of PXG 0311 T Gen 4 irons. Now, the T version is, is the Tour, it's the smaller, more compact head with, with the reduced offset. Um, pretty good when you win with a new set of irons first week in the bag. So um, that was probably the highlight for the winner. And then also Steve Stricker dropping his mm. Odyssey White Hot number two. That putter's been in the bag for eons for a white hot og number seven s so the the slant neck mallet and uh had a chance to win i was actually looking forward to kind of diving a little bit deeper on that but but steve didn't end up winning uh the the champions tour major so um those are probably i'd say the highlights from from colonial but again a lot going on this week at memorial that that Tursky covered in in full detail one other thing that i did want to point out before we get to this week's interview did you see what hit the usga conforming list i know Tursky did I
1: know yes he, i know he's i know he's
0: doing cartwheels
1: <laughs> yep i see some of the listen, listeners
0: in the uh-huh. comments of the photo uh-huh. too like Tursky's gonna love this <laughs> yep. and yes i can confirm i'm very very excited for Tursky this one. <laughs> is, is very excited about this one the new tailor-made 300 mini driver Interesting, interesting name. I mean, 300 series for TaylorMade. I would, I would contend that's probably one of their, one of their best drivers, drivers ever. Three, I mean, 300, but it, it goes back, it goes back a while. I mean, that's, that's not a, that's not a driver that I think a lot of people, I mean, especially if you're on the younger side, you're not, you're not thinking like, oh yeah, I remember that driver. I played it. I mean, that's, that's kind of going back to the. I mean, three hundred series was still using steel at that point. So it will be interesting to see. You know, we we had the original one, which was which was named after the Pittsburgh persimmon, which is going all the way back to when TaylorMade first started. So now we're getting another classic in the three hundred mini driver. They're they're kind of sticking with some of these classics. It makes me wonder how much of this design. Is based on kind of the original driver profile from that three hundred. What do you guys think?
1: I hope it's like a replica, just with modern technology. <laughs> like that's that's honestly that what cool. I want. That would be cool. They, are they going to put the V sole in it
2: and, and call it a day?
1: Yeah, give it the same crown look, like make it look exactly the same. And I'm on board. They would sell it, a bunch of those. It does and look. I think a they lot are going to sell like, them regardless, but
0: it does look a lot more like the driver than it does the fairway. I remember the fairway kind of having like some some very subtle, almost like rails going along the bottom. Um, it the the head shape, and we we posted photos, it's up on the fully equip Instagram account at fully equip golf on Instagram. There and you go. There's yeah, the plug I was looking the for. Plug. And uh anyway, go take a look. Tell me what you think. Tursky, like I said, nobody's gonna be getting that one before Tursky. I'm sure he's already got a <laughs> Call into TaylorMade asking for the first. It's on one the way. Uh huh. Yeah,
1: yep. I got DMs. I got DMs out. <laughs> I can't wait. To, I can't wait to test it against the arrow. But, but, but it was not Seriously. a
0: memorial, correct? Was not a memorial? No, nope, okay. didn't see it. I figured if it it's was, that would have been the first topic. It would have been the first topic. You probably would have had a head in your bag uh, on your way home for sure. That would have been but up we'll, on Instagram immediately.
1: But I'm hoping it's at the U.S. Open, and I'll get to see it.
0: And I just, I'm just going to point this out. Did you see that there was a lefty version on the conforming Ooh, list?
1: That's exciting.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the, you mini know, driver, I play lefty and righty, right? Yeah. I know you do. You, you play, I got to get play, a righty yeah. and lefty I know, version. I know what this for, for those of us who actually play <laughs> the king the game of the lefty, mini driver. Yeah. The king of the mini driver. You're going to get both. Um, yes. you're going to go, you're going to go two mini drivers, righty and lefty. It's, it's going to be, <laughs> you're going to blow our minds. The next time I'm going to one up, up Phil. We, although we them. might we might be teeing it up next week, unfortunately, without without too many drivers, there's a chance we might have some we might have some news next week. I don't know. We'll see. Gonna I can't wait like to tell that. the story of
1: that round on the podcast. That'll be fun. <laughs> we'll surprise uh, we'll surprise the guest.
0: That would be yeah for sure. That could be could could be an all timer. But um, yeah, the lefty the lefty one tells me that there's probably a pretty good chance that that we might see a lefty version of this. But two. D- do you think Phil think Phil's going to try it? I mean, he he Absolutely. was using he was using the original one mini driver. Yeah. It would lead me to believe if it's already up on the conforming list, he's probably trying it out. Even though he's a Callaway guy, he's, you know, Callaway gives him a little bit of of room to to try out kind of a one club if if there's something that isn't working and then Callaway gets a shot to to try and beat it. But it would lead me to believe if they're already bringing out a lefty on the conforming list. It's got to be for Phil, right? Yeah. He's you only you only put that club,
1: yeah. You only put that club in the conforming list for two reasons. One, it's literally about to hit retail, or two, someone on tour wants to play it. Yeah. And man. if you're talking about lefties who want to play a tailor-made mini driver, I mean, come on.
2: Only only yeah. so many people that come to mind there. <laughs> right, right. So, Unless Bub is
1: in the market for a mini driver.
0: <laughs> I don't think I don't think he is. He he's all about I uh, think the seven wood, seven wood, and the nine wood. Um, those those are his clubs of choice. <laughs> So JJ did right.
1: say by the way he did say that a lot of 7 woods are going in the bag the next uh this week and for the US Open a lot of guys are testing the 7
0: woods Man I know I know they're coming we're we're going we're going to see a, a an increase in usage of of the trusty 7 wood It's already popular you've heard us talk about it a million times It's either that or we're talking about 11 woods So that's, that's what this, that's what this podcast has become. It's, it's the high lofted podcast. That's enough for that segment. We don't have yeah. to hammer that All point right. home anymore. Great. <laughs> I just, I just, I just had to, I just had to say it again. Okay. So with that, I think it's time to get into this week's interview. Chris, you've got a good one. And I was listening as you guys went one-on-one, who, who do we have on this week's pod? So this week, uh,
2: actually brought in a, a personal friend of mine, Joe Dichiera, who's, uh, who's a, biomechanist and 3D expert so really uh, really interesting information from his perspective as far as just this technology boom that we've seen the last couple of years and and really kind of how that's making an impact on how we coach our players how we fit our players and the type of information that's available to everybody now not just uh, necessarily reserved for those elites and the and the tour players that are out there so good information definitely worth a listen
0: Before we get into this week's interview, we wanted to share a special message from our official sponsor, GlobalGolf.com, your official destination for the best selection of new and pre-owned clubs, tech, apparel, bags, shoes, and more. Their industry-leading try, trade, and buy program will help you play your best golf for less. Test equipment, range finders, and GPS for up to two weeks with Global Golf's U-Try program. Take advantage of their proprietary trade-in and get top dollar for your equipment. Higher trading values mean more cash to upgrade. Plus, save 10% on qualifying products with promo code GOLF10. That's GOLF10. Try, trade, and buy only at globalgolf.com. Promo code GOLF10. All
2: right, for our interview segment this week, we are coming to you with a good personal friend of mine, Joe Dichiera, who's a uh, local coach and director of instruction at Oncala Country Club here in Scottsdale, as well as a... 3D and biomechanist expert. Joe, welcome to the show here, my friend.
3: Thanks, Chris. Great to be here with you.
2: I so, wanted to bring you on uh, today to kind of talk about, we see more and more technology starting to pop up on tour and more and more technology being incorporated in not only instruction, but also personal use. And I mean, all over mm-hmm. the YouTube videos and all over the internet, people are just, there's more access to technology and launch monitors and and it, basically any component of Biofeedback and sure. it, everything—it's all out there. Yep. So, wanted to kind of bring you on and uh, and get your take on what is it that is now all of a sudden causing this new buzz and kind of take a deep dive into what it is that you do and how it helps players on basically every level.
3: Uh, absolutely, yeah, and you're 100 percent correct. You know, we're living more now than ever in a data-driven world, right? So. When it comes to that data, we need a measurement device, whether it be the launch monitors to measure the club and the ball or these 3D motion capture systems that measure really the kinematics of what the player's body is doing. Um, It's now just becoming mainstream, but 3D has actually been around since the early 2000s, if not even a little bit uh, earlier than that, but it was never accessible at a level like it is today to the everyday coach. You know, It was always reserved for... Gate analysis labs and biomechanics labs at universities, where they'd have these hundreds of thousands of dollar systems that used what we call optical uh, camera based, like so kind of like how they make movies, right? Now we have a world where wearable technologies are not only affordable but incredibly accurate. So the technology that I've used in my career, from you know the beginning of using 3D has been these what we call inertial sensors or IMUs. Essentially, they have the same components that you might have in your iPhone that measures bend, side bend, and rotation of whatever it is that the sensor is on. Sure. Um, You could have their sensors out there or systems out there that have a number of different sensors in them from one all the way up to 16. You can go crazy with it and measure all these different movements, right? But at the end of the day, we're trying to get data. We're trying to measure what the player is doing objectively so that we can then make informed decisions on what that player needs to not only improve their performance or higher their ceiling of performance, but at the same time, reduce the risk of injury and maybe even create a little bit more consistency over the course of... Uh, whatever they're doing in terms of playing, right? If it's one round as a, as a recreational golfer or if it's a four-round tournament for a professional level player. Um, your question on, you know, how does this apply to all levels of players? You know, I get that question a lot. You know, I, at the club, I bring this system out and immediately a lot of the members say to me, well, I'm not good enough to put that on. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's quite the opposite, you know i think it has more application for the recreational golfer because again as the skill level regresses and the handicap is a little higher these players tend to have a little bit less awareness of where their body is in space Absolutely. and what they need to do in their golf swing so to have this objective feedback of measurement to say to them you are feeling x but Reality is why, and when we feel versus real, (laughs) perception versus reality, and then we can bridge that gap, which is the the most important piece for any of the players, because, you know, you can measure anything, right? But it's in the interpretation of the data and then applying it to a biofeedback program that allows them to feel what they should be doing. And then they can go through and apply that feel into a practice program that's more uh, qualitative, you know, rather than quantitative, you know, not just beating 100 balls, maybe cutting that time in half, saving time, but getting much more benefit out of their practice program. And that applies, again, to every level player. It's just as you get better and you work your way more up to a let's say, a touring professional, mm-hmm. we're getting more granular. That's all we're doing, right? We're trying to dial in that feel even a little bit more, whereas with a higher handicap player, it might be more of a gross movement pattern, you know, working on their pivot or something like that, where, you know, with a tour player, we might be dialing it into a couple degrees here and there to be able to have them hit, you know, fades or draws on command and be able to, you know, do that when the pressure is on in a major championship.
2: Oh, absolutely. And have you found that... I mean, just with seeing this big technology boom that we've seen in the in the recent years and more and more of this stuff starting to pop up online from individual YouTube channels and coaches blogs and all of these different avenues for information that have have people come to you a little bit more open minded, less apprehensive with some of this stuff
3: absolutely um it really depends on the personality of the player really sure um that really dictates kind of their openness you know obviously as the handicaps get higher there's some reservations but you know doing this for so long i've kind of got that spiel down now where you if you explain to them why you're putting these sensors on them what it does and what the benefit is those walls really come down quickly um and then it comes down to you know what do you share with this person
2: Absolutely.
3: Because, you know, we don't want paralysis by analysis. We don't want to (laughs) overshare and, you know, complicate the situation. But there are times where, you know, I've been working with, you know, very successful guys. You know, they might be an engineering background. They love the numbers, right? So it's this give and take a little bit of what do you show them? What's the right amount? And then how do you turn that into an actionable program that they can then, benefit from and get better at golf with uh, rather than just spitting numbers out at them. I think that's the art of using technology, right? Because we have the science of it and then we have the art of coaching and that balancing act of how to interpret the data and then how to uh, turn that into actionable uh, insights for the player and then communicate that well to the player to get them to do what you want them to do is the ultimate combination of this using technology.
2: I would agree with that 100%. There's, I can't tell you how many times that I've had a, a coach that I've been working with or a coach that's come in while I'm doing a fitting and just the way that they communicate to the player and you see the player just switch off just with how they're relaying information. Oh, yeah. And I would I would agree that what really helps to differentiate a quality coach or a quality fitter, anybody that's in our industry, is just being able to interpret your particular player's needs and then communicate the information that they need to know, not necessarily what they want to know, correct but what they need to know in a way that kind of gives them that aha moment, that light that comes on and they go, oh, now I get it. Absolutely. And how many times do you get uh, in in your profession? I know with me, I get it almost daily when you are working with a client and you get the phrase, I'm a feel player. Mm Mm-hmm. And nonstop. The, oh, yeah. And then you have to have that conversation with that feel player that while your interpretation of how your body is moving or what your club is doing isn't like we talked about, necessarily what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's a very delicate conversation, in my opinion, to say, okay, well, this is what you're feeling and it's producing X result, but in reality... There's a manipulation that's happening that Compensations along the way. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, and there, it's skewed because that field player is really just focusing on a feel of what they think that they're supposed to be doing. But what all golfers need to understand is that nothing in the golf swing happens in isolation. Sure. Okay, so... If you're feeling something, and feels change, by the way. 100%. You know, and, and depending upon how much you play, they can change daily, weekly, or monthly. You know, it could change often. So I always tell those feel players, because they're the hardest ones to convince, but once you convince them, they're there forever. Oh, yeah. Um, this measurement technology provides a baseline for your feel. So that then if you lose it down the road we can always come back to the objective data and say okay here's what you were feeling when you hit this shot that was you know your ideal draw on the screws and then recapture their data with what they might be feeling that day and we can you know with a with a knowledgeable coach you can clearly see what the difference in the data is and get them right back to a feel that works faster before it starts to spiral out of control and they, you know, might go into a slump, right? With, you know, at the, at the tour level.
2: That's an amazing point. And I, I want to circle back to what you said there. So the, taking that, that field player that we're talking about and being able to identify not only to you as their coach, but also to them what is happening, creating a baseline, creating a reference point to where when they have a good positive motion, and it produces the result. You're able to capture that and revisit it yep. later on down the road. <clears> Hundred percent. <throat>
3: not only that, but you know, from a couple perspective, uh, you know, when I have a tournament player that has a excellent round, mm-hmm. you know, most most people at the club level will say, "Oh, I'm I'm playing fine. I don't need to come see you right now." Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> sure. But I like to capture data when they've played their best. Because if I can get their data when they've, when they're coming off of a 64 or a 63, I know that they're doing they're firing on all cylinders. I want to bottle that up. right If you could bottle up their motion when they're playing well and always come back to that, that's a powerful thing. Not only that, but from the perspective now of where we are with these systems, there's a 3D system on the market right now where you can put it, the sensors on the player and they can go play around at golf with it. And you could download their round afterwards. Now think about how powerful that is from the perspective of the range swing versus the course, the first tee swing. Absolutely. So capture data. So what I like to do with players is I capture data without a golf ball. First, practice swing Mm -hmm. to see what their natural motion would be. Then with a ball. Then trying to hit a ball to a target on the range. Then on the golf course. Because I want to see what breaks down and where it breaks down at each one of those levels so that at the end of the day we could say okay when it counts on the first tee let's see what your motion becomes and then how do we get around that or how do we improve that
2: that's a that's a unique approach it's uh i definitely feel like i'm i'm being spoken to and i'm speaking to a, a lot of our listeners out there that can probably relate to that uh that mentality of i feel like i am a driving range professional right and the practice swing feels very, very similar to that range swing. And I'm shaping shots and hitting my targets. And then right. inevitably, you step up on that first tee where there's OB left and it's tree-lined and it's yeah. this, that, and the other thing. and
3: External environment gets involved.
2: Uh, yeah, 100%. Right? So if we can get past
3: that barrier, think about how powerful that would be for the everyday golfer.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and I would like to think that tour players are becoming more and more aware of the accessibility, and not only the accessibility to this type of technology, but also the practical application when it comes to making a system and taking those environmental influences out. Being able to execute based upon what the body is telling them rather than the environmental influence. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Now, when it comes to using this 3D technology and getting biofeedback and so on and so forth, when it comes to practical application compared to what a player is seeing off of a, a launch monitor, mm-hmm. whether it be an optic based system or a Doppler based <laughs> system, sure. what do you find is the best method, best method to kind of incorporate? this technology together. Do you like to use just 3D software to begin with?
3: No, everything together. Because everything you together. want the full picture, right, Chris? So what happens with the ball, what happens with the club, comes from the body, right? It's cause and effect relationship. Sure. So if you can get quality body data at the same time, in the same swing, as quality club and ball performance data, and you have a background of understanding what the cause and effect relationship is, you could make faster and more lasting changes to that player's movement patterns than you can with anything else, right? Because now we have a direct correlation of why did the ball do what it did? And then what do we need to change in the body to change the kinetics or the movement of the club? And how do we get that to apply to producing better golf shots? That's I mean if you can string those together there's no stopping how far you could take a player it doesn't even it does not matter what level whether it's a first time player or a five time major champion it doesn't matter if you can incorporate that cause and effect relationship of body to club club to ball game
2: over so that's that's a good point when it comes to who is this for who mm-hmm. can it benefit anybody everybody If you have a coach that you have a good communication level with and that can relate the information to the player in a way that they understand it and have that aha moment, this is something that's vastly beneficial to everybody. Now, since we're more gear-focused on on our podcast, when it comes to helping to identify how well equipment is matched to the player, Mm -hmm. so if it's a player that hasn't necessarily gone through a fitting, versus a player that has gone through a fitting, when you get a particular player in front of you that has kind of piecemealed and done it themselves versus Mm -hmm. somebody that's gone through and seen a fitting professional and has the right equipment. I know you and I've spent some time together with various players over the years. And how many compensations do you see from players that have tried to do it on their own and they're trying to just make it work? Uh, tons. Tons. <laughs> yeah, tons. I, the, the body right. just all of a sudden becomes compensation-based and develops yep. a series of subconscious movements just to make the equipment work. Correct. And
3: Correct. Which is never going to produce the consistency of results that they're looking for.
2: Agreed. And I, one thing that I absolutely love to bring up with you is, is the phrase muscle memory.
3: Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we we get that so often that you know, these these players will, and amateurs and professionals alike, I see it across the board. Mm-hmm. And whether it be beginning player or even somebody that plays at mm-hmm. a pretty high level, and I hear that phrase, muscle memory. Mm-hmm. and Do I, I pop into your head? <laughs> it, it, immediately. <laughs> immediately. I absolutely love it, which is why I wanted to bring it up, because I, I feel like that little nugget is... Uh, is not only humorous, but also right. uh, also uh, informational. Wise, it's good for people to know. So, right. kind of dive into that a little bit. When you hear a player go, "Yeah, I missed that a little bit. I just, you know, I, I need to need to hit a few more muscle memory."
3: Well, the first thing I have to do is take a deep breath, <laughs> um, <laughs> because there's nothing that uh, is more of a pet peeve for me than to hear that phrase. Because there are there there are no. There's no memory in your muscles, right? If I if I took your head off, you're not going to be moving the same way, right? It comes from the brain, okay? Brain sends signals down to the body based on a number of factors, whether it be physical limitations, whether it be past environment, past habits, right? Things like that. We call those motor patterns. Um, those are hard to break. Um, and they can be done with the right application of everything we're talking about here. But um, more often than not, people that are out there saying, I just have to you know, ingrain that muscle memory, uh, they're doing just the opposite, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, they're making it way worse on themselves at so that point.
2: They're, they're feeding into that compensation of, yes. of trying to do something that isn't necessarily the most positive. Correct.
3: Because they're looking for immediate gratification, right? Sure. And that's the hardest part about changing a movement pattern. Because when you do, when you have to change a movement pattern, there is a period of time where the outcome might regress. It's just the way it is, um, and you have to be willing to push through that and focus more internally versus externally, right? So if you can focus internally and make, you know, a new movement, a new feel. Trying to do something with your your movement patterns to be what you're focused on and use that as the grading system, regardless of where the contact is. You know, the contact will get better as you get more uh, adapted to the new movement. Right, the brain will reorganize itself. It'll start to improve the output, but without really overriding the input, uh-huh. the output will always regress. And that's why you'll see players. That take a lesson maybe you know like a traditional lesson you know where they're just getting eyeballed by the coach and they're just telling them to do something like you know keep your head down or whatever you know that might
2: be you you guys couldn't see this out there but when when joe (laughs) made the comment of traditional lesson there was there was air quotes there (laughs) oh in uh in our in our modern day uh instruction and club fitting era the uh the traditional lesson of a of an eyeball doesn't necessarily fit no. the bill for no. for most of us out there that actually want to get better at golf, right? And also want to get the most out of their equipment, right?
3: And, and this my, my point with that uh, that angle was those are the players that you see, you know, take that lesson. Maybe they got lucky and something worked, but it's going to work for a week, and then then they're all of a sudden either coming back to the coach or they're sitting up at 11 p.m. in their bed, scanning through YouTube, trying to find some videos of something else that'll <laughs> Try, work.
2: Trying to fix it. Trying to, trying fix to it. find the. Yeah. Uh, trying to find yeah. that magic Taking wand. The DIY or, route. Yes. Now the uh, the other component of that is when you get a player that has already gone through a fitting experience mm-hmm. and has equipment that will necessarily complement their motion mm-hmm. and you find something a shaft and head combination that matches their load pattern their release pattern complements how their body moves the the angles that they naturally create I get a little bit of, of pushback well what happens if I change my swing and correct me if I'm wrong when I say that the likelihood of you being able to the average player now mm-hmm. being able to change, a motor pattern without significant coaching and effort, both on the Mm -hmm. coach's part and the player's part, probably not gonna happen very often.
3: Slim to none. Uh, And from the perspective of being able to change it enough to make a difference in those metrics and specs that they were fit into, probably not. Sure. Probably not. And And if they did, Fantastic. You're going to be playing at such a higher level. Go get another set of golf clubs. <laughs>
2: I was going to say, I'll, <laughs> right? I'll bring them, back, yeah, in and, bring them and, back in and refit them right. for free. There. Right. Yeah. It, uh, it it never ceases to amaze me how often the, the player is apprehensive to make an investment in their equipment because of the position of their golf swing. Mm. And I always try to tell players, you know, if you struggle right now, today, when you come see me for a fitting with a hundred yard slice mm-hmm. and your body motion is in your mind, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then I start to show them some of the the data points and the fact that that very unique swing, let's say, that they have yep. is actually repeating. And the angles that they're creating are repeating. What's not repeating, more often than not, is the consistency of face angle at impact. Right. But if all of a sudden I find a shaft and head combination that matches how their body moves naturally and we take that 100-yard-off-the-planet slice right. and... Find something that gives them a 30-yard slice. Mm -hmm. Motion is still going to produce the same ball flight. It's the same pattern, right? That's what the players
3: have to understand. You're just doing it from a, you know, you're taking a 100-yard slice down to a 30-yard slice with the equipment. I might be able to take the 30-yard slice down to a 10-yard slice with some pattern changing, or I shouldn't say changing, I should say pattern reduction. Because the pattern with these players is probably going to remain the same. We're just tightening the bell curve. Sure. Right. Really, they're not going to need new equipment unless you completely change a pattern, which is so changing a pattern and reducing a pattern to make it more functional are two completely different conversations.
2: We, get, we need to say that again. <laughs> you can.
3: You can reduce or improve your current pattern. OK. In terms of the severity of what the misses are. And that's going to help you play much better golf. But to change a pattern, a movement pattern, really takes, we're talking years, right? I mean, you look at what Tiger did, you know, we're talking years and years. And even Tiger, if you look at when he went through all the swing changes, Mm -hmm. he still had many, many aspects of older patterns that carried over, right? He just changed certain aspects. So I would argue even he didn't change
2: his pattern completely. And this is somebody that has a work ethic. I mean second to none. Right? Yeah. And arguably the best if not one of the best players that have ever played the game. Correct. And somebody that is very in tune with how his body moves. Right. The the feel that he's getting with
3: So the person that wants to play once a week and not hit any golf balls in between. Sure. Trying to change change we're,
2: a pattern we're is, probably not going to see much change. We're not going <laughs> to see much change. So no. in in saying that if you get a good fitting and if you are working with an instructor I always tell players that the clubs that we fit you for today will only perform better and more consistently as the body motion improves Correct. and that pattern becomes more consistent. Would mm-hmm. oh, you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. So kind of changing gears and talking now about some of our tour players. Sure. And tour players that you've worked with in mm-hmm. incorporating some of this technology. Before we got on the air, you were you were kind of talking about Padraig. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah despite the fact that he is across the world, right? you guys have an opportunity to connect sure, with yeah. this tech and he's able to send you some of the data. Let's Talk about that a little bit.
3: Yeah, so I've done, uh, you know, I've helped Potter out a little bit with his uh, uh, the kinematics of his movement, right? He has a 3D motion capture system at his home in Ireland um, and I would help him interpret the data and then I'd help send him programs that, you know, got him to feel what he was trying to achieve in his golf swing. So we did this 100% remotely. Uh, never saw him face-to-face in a traditional, there's my air quotes again, sure. traditional lesson environment. Traditional lesson. Um, <clears throat> so he would capture data in a simulator at his home, send the data to me. We discuss what his goals were, what he was trying to do in his swing. Um, a lot of guys on tour right now are trying to get more distance. So it mostly revolved around speed. And then from there... I would then put together a biofeedback program that could change some of the movements of what he was doing in his body um, to help maybe increase the energy transfer from the ground through his body and out into the club, which was the majority of what the discussions revolved around. But again, we did this 100% remotely through data and, uh, and the technology.
2: And that's really interesting is you could have a player that goes out on Thursday, has a great round, loses it, on friday could be in their hotel room reach out to you and say joe i lost something there's a hitch there's a glitch there's a a malfunction happening in my swing put sensors on in their hotel room make swings without hitting a golf ball and you're able to interpret that data remotely and Mm -hmm. go yeah here we go sequencing is off here sure and something is happening you know, with, with body motion. Yep. And-, and, and it could be from the
3: instruction perspective or from the physical perspective. Another great example, I'm fortunate to be very close with the guys over at TPI, Dr. Greg Rose and Dave Phillips. Um, and I had a great opportunity to spend a morning with John Rahm, collecting his 3D data to help uh, Dave take, because uh, uh, John goes to TPI, so they mm-hmm. wanted to get some data on him. And from John's perspective, I mean, his swing is very simple. Sure. Not a lot can go wrong. Uh, Dave was telling me, you know, John runs into some issues when his lead hip gets a little tight, right? So when we know that that happens, we loosen it up, let him go do his thing, right? So we just wanted to see some data on, you know, when he was feeling good, when his hip was working well, so that when it tightens up, we want to see what happens, what's what's the outcome when that starts to tighten up in terms of how his body's moving, so that they know when and where to work on that to get him back in shape where he can just let it go on autopilot again, right? Because he's got a very, very simple, repeatable motion.
2: And when those guys go on autopilot, that's, uh, that's when they're really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the simplicity of that motion, who would you say has, from a 3D perspective, been the most consistent and from a range of just repeatability? Who have you worked with that has just been like, wow, that is almost robotic? Anybody jump out to you?
3: In terms of robotic, meaning, you know, and it's on a number of levels we could talk about this. Sure. I, I think actually one of the most consistent, because remember, golf isn't always a game of pure consistency at that level. It's a game of adaptability, too. 100%. But from a stock swing perspective, like one of the players that I think I've seen that had the most consistent dialed-in motion was Paul Peterson, number one, I would oh, say. yeah. Um, you know, Paul played on the European tour, so, you know, still still out there. But in terms of, like, having Paul go make 100 golf swings in 3D and trying to find the difference, it's like trying to find <laughs> a needle in a haystack. Um, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, the best golf swing on in 3D that I think I've ever seen from an efficiency standpoint was probably either... Um, Elkington or or Ernie Els, I would say. Okay. From a from an efficiency standpoint. Interesting. Yeah.
2: I could see I could see Els, and his uh, yeah. his swing hasn't uh, yep. hasn't really evolved much from mm-hmm. when we first saw him come out on tour years right. and years and years ago. Right. That's interesting. Oh, as we kind of start wrapping this up, any any other topics, little little nuggets that you'd like to share with us? You know, I think speaking to the
3: golfer out there, you know, don't be afraid to go find a coach that uses 3D. I know it might be a little bit intimidating uh, because it's something new. It's something that you've never done before. You don't, you're not quite sure about what you're going to get as an outcome. Sure. But I can only tell you that if you find the right coach that understands the data and can relate that to you in an actionable way, the more data, the better, in my opinion. Right. I I don't
2: disagree with you.
3: If you have a coach that knows how to relay that data to you uh, in a way that you can understand it and can go take that into something to do on the golf course. Um, If you find that, and I hope you all do because it's an experience like you'll never have elsewhere, I think it would really unlock a lot of doors to improving your golf game.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. Who doesn't want to have an opportunity to be able to self-diagnose and then not only have that that measurable range of improvement, but also, like we talked about early in the interview, when something does start to go off the rails, you have a baseline. Absolutely. You can go back, you can find it again. Absolutely. And so many people get into that slump. I mean, we all do at some point in time or another. Mm-hmm. And now we have something that we can go, ah, okay, here's where it went wrong. Mm-hmm. Here's what we need to do to get it back. Love yeah. that. Measure,
3: don't guess, as I like to say. Love it.
2: Absolutely love it. Well, Joe, we really appreciate you being on with us today. And Thanks for having is, me, Chris. Uh, This Loved is not the, not the last time we'll see you, I'm sure. I hope not. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, Chris. Thanks, bud. Thank you.
0: And that'll do it for episode 93 of Fully Equipped. Thanks again to Joe for the time. Lots of great insights there. If you're looking for more information on gear, you can always check us out on social media. We're at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram and at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter. See you around.